Welcome to Catholic Moms in the Middle, a podcast for midlife moms who want to make the next season of life their best one yet. I am your host, Jenny Gwynn. You might find yourself transitioning into a new phase of life as your children become more independent or leave the nest. Mama, I am here to tell you that your life isn't over. You simply have new opportunities ahead of you. After years of pouring your heart and soul into raising your family, it is your turn to reconnect with yourself. In this podcast, we will talk about the joys and challenges of midlife. You will be inspired to rediscover your God-given purpose or to dust off old dreams and make them a reality. You'll learn how to navigate relationships with your adult children, to reconnect in your marriage, or focus on your health by being more active or finally losing the weight you've struggled with for years. Whatever this next season of life brings, this podcast will equip and encourage you to be happy, healthy, and holy. Hey friends, I'm Jenny Gwen, and this is Catholic Moms in the Middle. Today, we are going to talk about a topic that often brings up fear and uncertainty. It's a topic that many people want to avoid, yet it's going to happen to each and every one of us at some point. What we're going to talk about is dying. To join me in this conversation, I have Kim Derrick, who is a hospice nurse and the founder and executive director of the Heart of Mary House in Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, Kim. Welcome. Hey. I'm so excited to have Kim as a guest today for a lot of reasons. I've known Kim for years. In fact, we're distant cousins. I don't know how many cousins back. But I love to interview moms in the middle who are magnifying Christ with their life. And I have no doubt, seeing Kim, that that is definitely what she's doing. She is one of those women who are changing lives, and I believe her story will inspire you as well. So just to give you a little background, Kim is the mother of 11 beautiful children, ages one-year-old to 25. She's also a proud grandmother. We're wearing (laughs) grandmother hats now. Um, And so as she's in the midst of raising her family, she felt God calling her to start a hospice home for people who may not have a family to care for them or the financial means to pay for end-of-life care. And I am excited to have Kim talk about the home, and we're going to talk about dying from the perspective of love and belief in eternal life. All right, so Kim, will you start by telling us how the Heart of Mary House even came about? Sure. So basically, the Holy Spirit um, was at a—well, of course, the history of just my career as a hospice nurse, just seeing um, all the times of— just people, elderly people trying to take care of each other, um, walking into a home doing hospice and not really knowing who was on hospice because uh, they both looked like they could be. And their kids were spread out all across the country trying to, I'm sure, do the best they can to help take care of their parents. Or there could be people that were living totally alone um, in horrible living conditions. And most of the time, the hospice company will tell you, well, you know, just meet them where they are. You know, this might not be your normal, but it's their normal. And just time after time, seeing the experiences that I had with my family getting to die, these happy and holy deaths surrounded by family, you know, even though that didn't have to be the normal, just surely there could be a better way um, to have people enter into their eternal resting place. And so it just happened to be that I was at a ball game and um, was talking with an old friend 
um, who's a Catholic philanthropist, and we were just sharing different hospice experiences and just really catching up. And I was talking to him about um, the disparity of people not having a place to go. And he said, well, let's change that. Let's do something. And I was like, well, I don't know if it's that easy, you know. (laughs) There's more to it than that. (laughs) So I really, you know, just started researching and getting to work on it. Um, We we really thought there's got to be other places doing this somewhere. Let's just find out what they're doing. And I couldn't find anything for a long time. And then finally hit the right Google buttons and was opened up to this whole network called the Omega Home Network, which is a network where homes, people like us, can join this network and get all kinds of resources and just, um, you know, talking to other directors and leaders of these things. And it really then just had this instant um, camaraderie. And And is it for all denominations? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there are several um, homes that are Catholic, um, several that are ran by different Catholic charities in different dioceses around the country. And all of, every, all of them do it a little differently. So that was a great open door for us that made it look like, hey, this might actually be possible. Right. So I think it's so amazing how God works. He plants a seed in your heart where you see a need You see somehow that you can help with the gifts and talents that He's given you. He places people in your path that show you, hey, this is possible, even when you're like, no, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. It's just not that easy. And then He continues to open doors. And here we are. It's been a year. Yeah. And we are recording this show (laughs) in the Heart of Mary house. Mm -hmm. Um, It's on the campus at St. Edward Church and School. Um, in South Nashville. We can hear the traffic going by. Mm -hmm. There's a resident here today. It's just so beautiful how when you trust in Him, things can come together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I always say God is in the crazy things, you know, because you think, well, how can you discern if this is something God wanted you to do? And of course, it's a much much more of a process than that. But when it's just that wild idea that just nobody... No human could really design. You got to really step back and think, this has to be a God thing. Absolutely. So that was that was definitely an encouraging factor as we were moving along, because there were many times where it seemed like an untouchable, unreachable goal. Right. Yeah, but it's that faith, mm-hmm. and God's going to just plow through all of the obstacles if you allow Him. Absolutely. The doors opened, the doors shut, you know, when they should shut. Um, like you said, he put the right people in the path. Um, he did things before we even knew that we needed it. And sometimes he would answer in such a specific way that it was just, we got to a point where we would say, we felt like fools just for being completely mind blown. <laughs> right. But it just was like, when are we going to figure out, like, this is just how it's going to happen. This you is know? how God is. <laughs> Yeah, he he likes to show off for us that way. Whoa, he shows off big here. Yes. So let's let's talk about the basics. What is hospice? So hospice is end-of-life care. And the way it is uh, different from palliative care, and this is just how I would explain it to people, is, you know, for someone who's going through just a, a chronic illness, whether it be cancer or COPD or whatever it could be, um, 
you're kind of going down the interstate and palliative care is you may get off the exit and get back on and keep going a little bit more. But hospice is you get off the exit and you're not getting back on the interstate. So palliative, you could take a little dip off and get back on because you could still be receiving treatment for something. Hospice nowadays, they're working more towards making it a little bit more accessible to people earlier because it, what it was happening was people were coming to hospice and they were only on hospice for like three weeks. Right. And so then you get this mindset that, oh, well, hospice just means your days are numbered. And really it's not. It's, it's a resource for families. It will always just lift a weight off of the shoulders of the family to learn, I don't have to carry all of this anymore. You have a social worker, you have a chaplain, you have a nurse, you have a home health aide, and then the medical director above them who really come in and take so much off of the responsibilities of the family where then they can just focus on their loved one. Absolutely. And I know I've had two situations in my life. The first was my grandmother, and that was over 20 years ago. She was in um, a hospice facility here in Nashville. And at that point, I thought she was going to go to hospice and come home. I didn't know what hospice was. But then once we got there, her death was the most beautiful experience. It still brings me to tears to think about it because they took away like all of the things that we thought we needed to worry about. And we just surrounded her bed Mm -hmm. and we were just there with her and they walked us through, okay, you can expect this and you can expect this. And even as her breathing changed Mm -hmm. or she was going through the the dying process, it wasn't scary Mm -hmm. because they helped us by telling us what to expect. And so we got to, you know, say our last words to her and, you know, cry and tell funny stories. And so it was such a beautiful experience. And then the same again with my mother-in-law just recently last summer, um, having hospice come in. And of course, when you hear them say, it's time to call in hospice, there is that jolt of, oh my gosh, how did we get here? Yeah. But then when you invite them in, the process is so beautiful. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the residents that come in and how you support them. Yes. So Oftentimes, they've landed in the hospital for whatever reason, either acutely or chronically, um, and then now they're needing to go somewhere. And so hospice, put, I mean, um, the hospital puts in a referral to hospice, and once the hospice person comes to the hospital to talk about hospice with the patient and or their family, then they start talking about, well, where will you go for this? And you're beating your head up against the wall because there's no other option for this person or no ethical, moral option for this person to have a safe discharge somewhere. And so that's when they call us and they see if we have a bed available. And then we start coordinating with the hospice. And then the hospice nurse comes and does their admission. And we kind of start their plan of care. On the website, You say, the heart of Mary House is a refuge for souls. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Oh, goodness. It's a refuge for everybody's soul. So in the beginning, you know, we had blinders on. We're here for this resident who's going to come and stay here, and we're going to take care of them. 
And we had no idea the ripple effect that just caring for one person was going to have, not just across the house, but if they had family or friends or even with their hospice team, um, just how this one person's experience um, has this just impacting effect on so many different people. So most of the people that come here, like all of us, have had wounds and experiences in life that has knocked them down. They maybe just didn't have the resources that that we have or the people in their life to help them back up. And so they're pretty tattered and torn, you know, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And they come here and there is this little transition. It's usually about two or three days. And after that, it's like the veil has been lifted and they see everything in a different light. And the one factor that makes it really all change is their gratitude. And um, the unconditional love that they feel after they realize, I'm being loved like this day after day, person after person, and I don't even have to do anything. They've never, that's not been their life. Some of them are a little suspicious, you know. Um, all right, what, what is this going to cost me? You know, what, what am I going to have to do now? And then when we tell them, you're fine, you're, you're doing all you're supposed to be doing right now. And we earn their trust. Um, and it's, it is always going to be hard to put it into words because it is something beyond um, what we could even think that God could do for someone. And, and that's the big faith builder. I mean, you see some of these people come in here and you think, okay, you know, if God did this for this person, then surely He's going to keep doing for me. He's going to love me. And when you see the transition of their life while they're here, you know, it's usually not until they pass that you can really sit back and think, wow, you know, all the miracles just day after day after day. And, and that's really what it is. Um, it's one big miracle, but there's these little miracles each day. We just had a resident pass yesterday who had been here mm-hmm. about three months. Um, so it really became a fixture here and a part of our life. And she actually um, came into the Catholic Church here. That was the biggest miracle. That's beautiful. Um, and just in time, too. It was just a couple of weeks ago. And it was just before she really had taken a turn. It was like God kind of let it fester there for a little bit. And then right when the time was right, she wanted to go to confession. And it went from, I'm not, I haven't done anything wrong. I don't, there's nothing I need to ask forgiveness for. Because in her mind, everybody had all, always done stuff to her. Right. She was the victim. Yeah. yeah. And so then once she, that switched, she couldn't wait to go to confession. And she went to confession and then two days later was confirmed and received First Holy Communion. And her sister, who's very much Protestant, came and she pointed to the crucifix and said, guess what? I'm Catholic. And her sister said, I don't care what you are as long as you're with Jesus. And she said, well, I choose this. And from that day on, it was like 
You know, when your little kids make their first Holy Communion and they're like, I can't wait to go to church again. And they're showing off all of their First Communion gifts. She would say, I have the armor of Christ. I'm safe now. I mean, it was just amazing. And how many of your residents, I mean, obviously they know they're coming to a Catholic facility. Do most of them come with some sort of faith? Or have you had people come in before that don't believe in God? Definitely, there's been some that um, have have been very far from God. Maybe had, you know, we had a gentleman who said he'd never learned the Bible at all. He was baptized here, um, actually. And uh, he was someone who was so rough and scruff and was living under bridges, so honorary. There was one afternoon where some kids and I and some other women volunteers were praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet with him. He was just sitting up in bed, just looking around. And and I had said, okay, it's time for me to go now. I've got to, you know, get home. And he said, okay, I'll be praying for you. And it was such a big moment. Everybody there knew it in the room because they knew him. But for him to think outside of himself was a huge thing. But to talk about praying was a whole other thing. So we just all melted into the floor. It was beautiful. What you're saying is so interesting because I think we tend to make it difficult sharing our faith. And all it takes is kindness, Mm -hmm. just being a funnel of God's love and showing people compassion, especially the people who don't often see compassion. Yeah. So it's not like you're you know, pounding the Catholic faith into Mm-mm. them. You're just showing them what true love looks like. Yeah. You're showing them how the Father loves each and every one of us. Absolutely. And it's really, it's through the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we set out to do. Um, you know, it's not in the rule book. It's just the way people are. It's through your actions. Yeah. And we did have a resident whose family member was very Protestant, I will say, I don't want to say anti-Catholic, but she definitely, admittingly, she would say, you know, she thought the worst of Catholics. So coming here, she was very nervous. After uh, she was here just a couple of days, she said she had never seen the hands and feet of Jesus. And she actually has a podcast too. And she says on the podcast, you know, I don't want to hear another thing about Catholics. Um, I have seen the hands and feet of oh, Christ. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And and it was true, uh, and and it's it, there's so many people that come in and out of this house to volunteer. I hope they're keeping a journal. Are you writing <laughs> things down? I do after they pass away. I just kind of funnel it all out there at that time, because um, it's it is truly it is not just the resident. There's things that happen with the volunteers who come in here, uh, the people that God leads here. Um, and the experiences they share with me, um, it's all just so unscripted. Jamie and I say all the time, like, we get the movie rights. Like, you, there is no way right. that you could have set out and thought, you know, that these things would be happening. Um, and that's so amazing how God shows up that way. And, and that is, I do think, part of why He chose me, because I do have a large family. And I know what it's like to just say, It is what it is. You know, this is God. Let's just go with it. The good and the bad. You have to see the good in all of the experiences. 
And in something like this, just like being a mom in general, you don't have a lot of control at a certain point in your children's lives, and you're just entrusting them to the Holy Spirit and what comes from that. And the decisions that are made here impact a lot of people and a lot of things. You know, just accepting a new resident into this house is a huge discernment process because it not it has to be the right fit, and you get a new one, and you have to make these adjustments, and it stretches you out of your comfort zone, and that's a good that's a good thing, right? It just makes your heart bigger to accept more. Yes, and it makes you less judgmental, like just in general, yes. to definitely see the walks of life of people and how. What I have seen is that people want to be good. Right. They really do. It's it's our nature. It's our human nature to want to be good. They just maybe have never been taught or they've just been beat down so many times. And then it's like God brings them here and they have this chance and they know it. They fully understand way more than probably we do right. of how amazing this is because they know what the first 70 or so years of their life have been like. Um, God knows when we're going to be born and who we're going to be born to and who's going to be there. And He knows when we're going to die and where we're going to die and who's going to be there. And so He knew this is where they were going to be from the beginning of time. Yeah, and He knew He needed you here to walk yeah. them through that. Yeah. So talking about death and, and your experience as a hospice nurse, what do you think— people regret the most when they get to that point? Is there one thing that most people regret in Just, life? Um, not telling people they're sorry for something. Just the reconciliation is something that will haunt a person. If you do not go through forgiveness, you will suffer greatly in your final days. You know, we are here as ambassadors of Christ to help them to bring reconciliation between them and God. But really, to get to there, they have to go through this reconciliation with family, friends, children. It's very painful when you wait until the end. Wow. And holding on to unforgiveness is often a way to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to think when you forgive somebody that you're saying what they did is okay or mm -hmm. that, you know, they didn't really hurt you. But really, forgiveness is a, between you and God. Yeah. You're really doing it for the person that you are um, reconciling with because they're still here living their life. Right. And so when we have families or residents here whose families won't come, and the resident would really like for them to come so that they can reconcile. It's very soul-crushing to, to watch because you know what's happening. Because it's not that they want it for themselves at this point. They want to be able to release it right. from their children because they know what it's like to live a lifetime carrying that. That would be the, the biggest one that, say, you know, really affects their physical and emotional and spiritual well-being. Right. And that's a good reminder for all of us. It's easy to hold grudges mm -hmm. and think you have plenty of time to fix that relationship or reconcile or to say you're sorry. And so that's a good reminder that 
maybe there's somebody today as you're listening to this that you know there needs to be some forgiveness and just praying to the Holy Spirit, like, I don't even know how to approach this. The situation may be so painful, but just starting the process and allowing God to work in you and to allow you to forgive and then see what happens with the reconciliation. Death is really meant to teach us how to live. And we get the gift of being a part of it every day. That is that just soul reminder um, of a life that we're trying to attain outside of this world. And how do, how do we get there? You know, we see people go through this every day. And it's just a, a physical reminder of um, how we should be living our life. Right. And death is a part of life. We have to recognize that there is death because then it makes life even more special. If we didn't recognize death and what it means, then life would lose some of its meaning. And we talked before we started that, you know, being in midlife, it's that time we have people in our family who are getting older or in midlife, you've experienced your share of deaths and So it is a part of life. What would you say to people? How would you help them look at death in a way that can bring peace and comfort? The readings from Sunday, to die is to gain, right? And so death is a part of life, but in a lot of ways it is life. We take for granted that each day we're living um, As Catholics, cradle Catholics, we've always had this faith in our back pocket. So you look at death and knowing that the saints experienced death. St. Joseph experienced a death of suffering. Um, It's not beyond any of us. But also, you could not be closer to the angels, to Christ, to the Blessed Mother, during this time, not only in the person who's dying, but the person who's caring for them. Even Our Lady cared for St. Joseph and his death and for Christ. And so really kind of going to that foot of the cross with Mary, that was her most glorious um, time in her life was at the foot of the cross. And that's where you sit as a caregiver, as a daughter, as a son, whoever you are, when you're experiencing that time with a loved one, But also really as like a tactile visual thing, when you're sitting in the room with this person, you are in the vestibule of heaven. Like this is a sacred ground. And it's a gift to be able to be in this time and space with this person who's, yes, it's a loss and life will never be the same for you. But it can also never be the same in a good way. It doesn't have to be in a bad way. And, you know, we don't have to reflect on all of the negative, poor emotions. Try to reflect on the miracles that you're seeing throughout this experience. Look at all of the, um, the people who are helping you and the things that are being offered to you and just try to focus on that positive because you don't want to be weighed down with all of the negative and miss out on seeing the beauty of what is actually happening. Right. Um, you know, people will say all the time, well, is it better to, to die in a car accident or a long-suffering ailment? Well, 
I think it's the long-suffering ailment because you have that time to work through that reconciliation, that time to really come fully with Christ, but then also to give your family this witness of how to suffer well, how to die well. And you, as the family member, get to accompany that person. And, and it's not about you, it's about them. And so for a lot of times in families, when it's mothers and you know daughters or fathers and children, it's really hard to flip that switch between caregiver and child. And, right. and as a mother, I haven't, of course, had to imagine this, but I'm sure that it is something so difficult to have to pass that torch onto your child. But in a lot of ways, it is the story of creation. It is how God designed it to be. And just as when we come into the world, it is literally just the opposite, you know, of leaving. And even a lot of the language is the same. And when someone is born, life is never the same. For that couple who had that child and the siblings around them, and it's the same thing when they die. And so it's just that part of, of life. And it, but if you get focused on the negative and the bad feelings, then yeah, you're, you're wrapped in a lot of suffering and grief, which isn't bad, but you can't stay there. Right. You have to see those miracles and gifts and the people around you that, and, and it's the love that is the ultimate, is the love. When I was doing home hospice, you would have, you know, the son that would come and he just cut the yard and he left. You had the daughter who came and just made a ton of food and nobody would eat it, but she just made food, food, food. And then you have the daughter that's just in the bed, won't get out of the bed. Um, you know, everybody loves just in a different way. Right. And it's, there's no set way in how you're supposed to do this. Everybody has a role. You just kind of have to let everybody fulfill that role in their way. That happens a lot in families, too, where we get upset because this person isn't doing this and this person isn't doing that. And everybody's different. Everybody's going to do things a little bit differently during this time. It's unscripted. Right. So it's just being courageous enough to step back and look at death through the lens of love. And not that you don't love that person, but looking at death through the lens of love and how can you walk them through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about the other. It's the true spirit of love, loving for the sake of someone else and not for yourself. As we wrap up, I'm curious, this is a huge commitment for you with your family. What keeps you coming back every day? What keeps your heart on fire with this ministry? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, it's kind of selfish, but it just, it it gives me so much joy just to be here around all of the volunteers and just to see their um, vigor to just show up every week and do this and be so committed and just really to witness them and then to witness the courage and the strength of our residents as they're passing through this world, interacting with their family. I mean, it just feeds my soul so much. It, there's so much beauty around it. Every day, literally every day, I say to God, okay, 
if if you want me to pass this torch to somebody else, you know, just tell me, you know, because I feel like I'm cogging all the joy. <laughs> <laughs> like it's somebody else. But it it is pretty cool, though, because doing home hospice for so long, it's kind of isolating where, you know, and we you come out of home hospice with a lot of unbelievable stories, you know, crazy off the wall stuff, but very beautiful things, too. But you never have somebody right there that can see it. And here it's like I get to bring all my friends and say, see, isn't this awesome? And then people get to experience um, death in a way that I've always talked about, but now they get to see it. And also people who have had bad experiences with loved ones, um, you know, maybe their death wasn't as beautiful as it could have been. And then they come back and they get to kind of, it's it's not the purpose of why they're here. It's not the intention but it is like an after effect where they feel this healing um, that that comes through caring for the residents here. When you're here for long enough, it's it's never a dull moment. And I I love obviously, um, you know, I could never work in a mundane job, <laughs> right? <laughs> you like the excitement. <laughs> yeah, it has to be different every day, and this is certainly different every single day. So you have volunteer opportunities where people can come in and serve. And I know I speak for me personally, I'm not sure what to expect. So I've mm-hmm. been a little hesitant about signing up. Walk me through that for other people who may feel like me, they're praying for the residents, they want to support you, but they're not sure about actually coming in mm-hmm. and doing hands-on work. Okay, so this is kind of how I frame it to people. It's just like if Aunt Lucy's mother is sick at her house. And you're going to show up at Aunt Lucy's house, and you're going to walk in the door, and you're going to say, hey, what can I do to help? It's really that easy, even though I know for maybe a lot of people that doesn't sound easy. But people can do one of two things. They can just show up and say, hey, how can I help? And we'll tell you, hey, could you run this laundry? Could you vacuum and mop the floor? You're never going to have to do anything that you're not comfortable doing, although there we may ask you, but you would have the freedom to say no. Then you can also sign up to volunteer on the website on a scheduled day and time. You can always call me, and we can like walk through um, when you would want to come. Some people like to just kind of come and meet me and just observe for a minute. And I'll tell everybody, you're more than welcome to just come and just kind of watch, just observe everybody else and what they're doing. Everybody has to have a first day of volunteering. I know we have one volunteer who comes Monday at the same time, and she calls this her little monastery. She just comes, and this is her escape from the world. And she comes, and she just sweeps and cleans and cooks and whatever is needed. But her mindset is like in that monastery mode of outside of the world, and this is my little space. Good. All right. Hopefully that will inspire people to come in and help. Well, Kim, thank you for listening to God, for believing that what He placed on your heart was possible. I see you changing lives. I think after this, I'm going to sign up to come in <laughs> and, and get more involved. But but I see you. I see your work. I see it come through the, the church newsletter. Each week, we have the name of the resident, and we pray for them. And so I keep that close to my heart. You're impacting people more than just in these rooms. So thank Mm -hmm. you for doing that. 
I know you have a fundraiser coming up. This is a nonprofit. So will you share so people can learn how to support your cause? Yes, thank you. So we are 100% donation-based. So this is our first fundraiser. It's called Charity and Harmony because we have so many volunteers who are musicians and other things just not expected. And so we'll have a mix between our volunteers who will be performing We will have different volunteers and myself speaking, and it's just a fun, laid-back event. There's no cost to attend. We'll take donations there, but it's really just an opportunity to share the house with others um, and let them really learn about all that's happening here so that they can come and also be filled with the joy and peace that we get to feel every day. It's uh, November 11th at 6 o'clock at St. Edward. You'll find the information on our website at heartofmaryhouse.org. Awesome. All right, let's close with prayer. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the beauty of birth, but we also thank you for the beauty of death when we are able to open our eyes and see just how wonderful you are. Lord, we ask that you place people in our path who have not experienced your love, who do not know you in an intimate way. And we ask that you give us the strength, the wisdom, the words, so that we can magnify your love in their life. Lord, we ask that you pour blessings over the heart of Mary House, over Kim, her work, over Jamie, and all of the volunteers. So that they continue to not only bless the residents that come in, but also everybody who enters through that blue door, Lord, that you will just show up in amazing ways um, and just show off how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. All right, friends, I will see you next week. But in the meantime— Go out and magnify Christ in your little corner of the world. God bless. For more information on Catholic Moms in the Middle or to set up your complimentary Moms in the Middle mentoring session, go to catholicmomsinthemiddle.com or find me on Facebook at Catholic Moms in the Middle for even more encouragement and support as you embrace this next season of life. The music for this podcast was written by Sean Williams, Catholic composer and musician. You'll find more of Sean's original music at musicbyshawnwilliams.com. That is musicbyshawn, S-H-A-W-N, williams.com.